0: But We are starting a new teaching series today. We're going to be looking at the Kingdom of God, we're doing a teaching series we're, called, we're calling Signs, looking at Signs of the Kingdom of God and what that looks like. If you would have been around the time of Jesus and heard Him preaching, you would have heard a, a repeating theme of all of His messages come through. Like any good leader, I suppose, he summed up his mission in a few words he summed up what he was about in a statement that was easily understood and caught by the people that were listening to him. And he didn't go around saying, let's make America great again, or let's make Israel great again, or yes, we can, like Barack Obama and Donald Trump. Instead, Jesus' message was the message that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which to us might be confusing uh, as to what exactly that means, but for Jesus' The people Jesus was speaking to, they understood that when Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, what he meant was God is in charge and he's back. He's here. Jesus' people, the Israelites, were living in a country occupied by the enemies, occupied by Roman soldiers. They knew for all intents and purposes, although they lived in their country, they knew that God was distant in some respect, that he wasn't fully reigning and ruling over them When Jesus came saying the kingdom of God is at hand, he said, God is back. God is in charge and he's here present among you. And in the Old Testament and in the New, the signs that God is in charge, the signs that the kingdom of God is at hand were several and many. There was the sign of joy that when God was in charge, there'd be joy, there'd be healing. Uh, there'd be deliverance from oppression. There'd be peace. There'd be comfort to those who mourn. There'd be freedom to the captives. When the, kingdom of God is, when the kingdom of God comes, those signs are evident. And that's been my experience as a Christian. Before I became a Christian and went to church, I thought the church was a dull place. I thought the Christian religion was dull and uninteresting. But when I became a Christian, I discovered it's a place of joy and celebration. I can honestly say that I'm a Christian because I'm a hedonist. I'm a pleasure seeker. And I believe that trusting God is the the path to most pleasure and most delight in life. Certainly being a Christian, I've experienced joy like I could never have imagined. It's the kingdom of God. I've experienced comfort and peace. In good times, but especially in difficult times when I've been mourning and grieving. A few years ago when my dad died, I experienced comfort from God in a way that I could never have anticipated beforehand. Often when you picture things in your life that you hope never happen to you, when they do happen, you realize, particularly as, especially as believers, you realize that God is there in the midst of your brokenheartedness to comfort you. I've experienced healing and I've seen people healed as a result of the kingdom of God coming. A couple of weeks ago, we had people sharing from the front here about how God has healed them miraculously. Uh, About a month ago, I was on the Alpha course. Alpha is a a group for people who are interested in exploring the Christian faith. And I was there leading an evening. We are talking about healing. And I brought a prophetic word. I said, I think God is wanting to heal some people this evening. I said, I believe there's someone here with uh, sciatic nerve problems. We want to see you healed. And I said, who, who is that person? And no one put their hands up. So I thought, okay, fine. So I, but I prayed anyway because I'm stubborn like that. And I prayed and said, if there's any sciatic nerve, we want to speak to you in the name of Jesus and tell it to go. Anyway, a week later, someone came and spoke to me. She said that at the time she had a sciatic nerve problem, but didn't want to put her hand up because that would be embarrassing. I thought, thanks a lot. It was embarrassing for me too. <laughs> but she said, after you prayed, I felt a warmth in my sciatic nerve area. And a week later, I'm here to say I've had no pain since then. She experienced healing. It's what happens when the kingdom of God comes. Joy, peace, comfort, healing, freedom. But the kingdom of God is also a puzzle. It's a puzzle. Because since, if Jesus is, and since Jesus is in charge, we would expect to see a lot more than perhaps we do. I'd expect to see more healing, more social impact, more conversions, more people meeting Jesus. And sometimes I think like that. If Jesus is in charge, then why? Why is it so hard? Or why do I meet so many people, it seems, who used to... or Why do I walk around the town and meet people and know people who used to be a Christian, used to go to church, used to follow God? Why is it I've prayed for lots of people and don't see lots of people healed? We have... I have a problem with expectations when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus didn't. And so we're going to read what Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven as a way of getting us started in this series. Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus is teaching all about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And we'll see what he has to say. So chapter 13, verse 1 to 9 to get to begin. Jesus said, And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping... His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to them, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you reach up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And then one more parable. He said to them this. What's the next slide? He put, another, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So seven parables or seven stories, if you like, about the kingdom. And they reveal to us five tensions or at least five tensions about the kingdom that help us to see why it is that we have an expectation problem, but Jesus didn't. So we talk about the nature of the kingdom. First couple. We see that in Jesus' teaching a couple of things. Firstly, that there is success and failure in the kingdom and there is transformation and opposition in the kingdom. Jesus said it's like a great big net that you cast and pull in and in gathering the net, you get good fish, but you also get bad fish. You get cod, but you also get urchins. You get sole and monkfish, but you also get bottle tops and shoes and hairbrushes. He says it's like a field that gets lots of good fruit from it. You get lots of plants, but you also get weeds. They sprout up together. It's like your garden. You plant flowers. You don't plant weeds, but you get both. None of us really think, I planted a tulip. Why is there a weed? An enemy has done this. Someone is sabotaging my garden. But Jesus says what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says it's like a guy that went out to sow, and he has great success in his sowing. But only one in four produces fruit that lasts. But of the one that does produce fruit, Jesus says it goes. it's incredibly successful. It produces fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And we see this in church life. I, I, I love it when I catch up with people who became Christians years ago. And I meet up with them a, a decade later and hear what they're doing and how they're going on. Uh, I used to do youth work in Eastbourne. And so we had a number of teens uh, saved into the youth group from, from backgrounds where they heard nothing of the gospel. And a few years ago, I met up with a couple of them, and it was wonderful. One girl in particular, I remember, who came from a, a home where both parents were quite suspicious of the church, suspicious of us. You might think we're good reason, but she became a Christian. And now a few years on, she's made lifestyle choices to pursue God. She's looking to plant a church in France as it happened. is working towards that end. Because when, someone, when a seed produces good fruit, it produces Crazily successful fruit, 60, 30, 60, 100 fold what you sowed. But actually you find this principle at work, not just in preaching the gospel, but in all kinds of areas of life and in kingdom life. In discipleship, you might disciple four people and one of them produces fruit. But that one that does produce fruit is incredibly successful. You might pray for four people, one of them gets, saved, gets healed. You find this principle working work in our finance as well. You give away a lot, and maybe a little comes back, or the, the theories that you do give to, one in four produces that kind of result. In leadership, in work, you see the same principle time and time again. And I find it enormously encouraging that Jesus, God in human form, anticipated that at least 75% of his activity would be fruitless in the long term. And Actually, depending on the season or the soil that you sow into, it could be more than that. You can imagine preaching and, and ministering, if you like, with the gospel and the kingdom in somewhere like Texas. And America produces a lot more fruit than, say, somewhere like Turkey, where the soil is very different. Or working in Seaford might be very different from working in Spain. Not many people call Seaford a missionary's graveyard. But it's also hugely motivating. Because... If this is what you're expecting, that, I don't know, you scatter a lot and 75% are going to be fruitless, what it does is it motivates you to think, we've got to scatter lots. We've got to pray for lots of people to be healed. We've got to work hard. We've got to proclaim the gospel to lots of people. We've got to keep going. Jesus establishes this principle. We find it to be true and it should motivate us to keep going. And we've been in this school as a church like this for five and a half years. And it's tiring setting up, setting down. Today we broke their floor. So that's awkward. Things go on that you think this is hard work. You'll be involved in church or you'll be doing midweek ministry. And if you're anything like me, there is many times in the course of a month where I'll get into bed at the end of a busy day, we've not stopped. And you think to yourself, I hope we're making a difference. I hope all of this energy Is for something, that we're going to produce some lasting fruit. I hope, I hope it's hard. Well, Jesus tells us that that's how it should be. doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. You in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and ministry, you see success and failure, which we expect it. But he says you're also the kingdom of heaven, you see success and failure, but it's also you should experience transformation and opposition. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which is this yeasty lump that you put inside some dough. It's like leaven that you hide until all of the dough is leavened with that leaven. That The kingdom of heaven works like that, that it brings about gradual transformation. It's gradual transformation. But it's also like a field that an enemy sows seed into. So you see transformation, but you've also got an enemy trying to upset and undo all of your hard work. Jesus' answer to this is, he says, well, in the kingdom, the wheat and the weeds, they grow together. You're never going to have a situation that's pure. Not until the end will you find a pure people or a people who are sold out for God or have an experience where there's no weeds. Jesus says, in the kingdom, the wheat and the weeds grow together. The kingdom will transform the world. Jesus says. I mean, he's saying this to a group of people on a Galilean hillside, who's just got a, a few, ba- a band of brothers, we happy few, and the whole world have never heard of Jesus or the gospel. And yet, thousands of years on, you see that's exactly what's happened. It hasn't transformed the whole world yet, but we're living in the result of a society, a culture that swims in the water of Christianity. Because Jesus' words came true The little people, a little group have transformed, there's been a transformation that's taken place. I have a it's a tremendous privilege doing what I do and particularly last week spending time with these students on uh, impact training I'm taking a year out to growing God and time after time you hear people share their testimony their story of faith and they say I walked away from God but the gospel was in me from a young age and it slowly has transformed my whole life. To the point they think, I'll give up everything for you. I'll have a year of poverty and just serving in the church. And all right, we'll go to Spain. But it's a year of hardship because that's what the gospel does. It transforms. But Jesus says, you'll also be violently opposed because of him. I don't know if you've been violently opposed, but you've probably experienced opposition of some kind. If you're a Christian, martyrdom is to be expected, Jesus says, in the Christian life. There have been more Christians persecuted and killed for their faith in the last century than all the other centuries put together. The gospel's gospel is transforming the world, but there's also opposition. The enemy hates you, hates your life, hates your marriage, wants to see the church um, ashamed and ridiculed and mocked, wants to see the gospel not bear any fruit. You have an enemy. But Jesus says in the kingdom you can expect those two things. We will experience transformation and opposition. We're not to be surprised by how hard it is. We're not to be surprised by how gradual it is. Jesus says it's how the kingdom works. So we experience success and failure, transformation and opposition. But you also experience breakthrough and obscurity and gift. And sacrifice, breakthrough, and obscurity. Jesus says the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's small, but eventually becomes larger than all. It becomes visible. You experience breakthrough, but it's also like leaven, which was hidden in a batch of flour. Hidden. It's an unusual phrase. He says it's like a woman who hides some leaven inside some flour. Shh, don't tell anyone I'm hiding the, the yeast inside this. it's a hiddenness, an obscurity. The, with that idea of hiddenness comes to mind being undercover. Christians are undercover and hidden. Oh, I, I remember clearly at uni when I was uh, in, the, in the library one day. It was a very unusual occurrence to find myself in the library. But I was in the library and I was having to read some books about Christianity because I did a theology degree, so it's less unusual to do that. But I was in the library and I noticed it was just bizarre to me. You had these books about Christianity, next to these books about Buddhism, next books about Islam. I mean, I was in the world religion section, so you, you would have thought it wasn't that surprising. But it was interesting to me to think the kingdom, Jesus' teaching, has just been hidden along all the other faiths, so, social movements, isms and ideologies of the world. Just the kingdom is hidden in and amongst everything else. There's an undercover dynamic to the kingdom of God. There's an unseen, an unknown element. that God chooses obscurity. I mean, he sent his son into the world and sent him to Nazareth, of which people said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? God works in obscure places, often through obscure people, in obscure means comes to towns like Seaford, not known for its cultural and global influence. The kingdom of heaven is in obscure places and he does amazing things. You know, the last great Christian revival in the UK uh, was in the Scottish Hebrides. Anybody know where the Scottish Hebrides is? A couple of, of course, Robert does. I, I had to look it up on a map. I don't know. I've never, I mean, I've heard of it because I've heard people talk about this great revival. But before then, I'd never heard of the Scottish Hebrides. But in the Scottish Hebrides in 1949, two women, um, I think we've got photos of them, Peggy and Christine were praying one day. And they felt God tell them to invite a man named Duncan Campbell in the middle to come and preach because they felt God say he was going to do something amazing in the Hebrides. There's going to be a revival. So they phoned him and he said no at first. because He said he was busy. And they said to him, you know, no, you're going to come because God has said. Sure enough, Duncan Campbell found that his plans changed last minute. And he found himself a few days later in the Hebrides. And he preached the gospel. And there was an amazing move of God that no one could have anticipated. In response to these women's prayer and Duncan Campbell's willingness to come and preach, hundreds and hundreds of people became Christians. They were, I mean, in a sleepy part of the UK, and church, where church attendance was probably similar to our experience of church attendance, they found themselves having to hold five meetings a day, starting at 5 p.m., 7 p.m., 1 a.m., 3 a.m., and eventually finishing, getting home at 5, 6 in the morning, only to then start again the next day. Because the Spirit of God was moving in such a way that people from no religious, no church background at all, were finding themselves suddenly impacted by the weight of their sin. On one occasion, they had a phone call to say that there's literally 200 people at the police station because they're aware of their guilt. They weren't all like lawbreakers, but they were suddenly aware that they were guilty. And they thought, well, I don't know where to go. So they went to the police station, hundreds of them, thinking what can we do about this guilt that we're so aware of? And it took the preaching of the gospel to tell them, Jesus has come to forgive you of your sins, to remove that guilt. It went on for weeks and weeks and weeks of the Spirit of God just moving in a mightily powerful way. In the Hebrides, in an obscure place on the planet, obscure part of the UK, God rescued hundreds of people because that's how the kingdom works. There's breakthrough and obscurity and microphone problems. So the kingdom shapes the world. Silently, invisibly, obscurely, and in the dark. You know, when you're alone, at home, praying, God comes to you powerfully. And actually, in our social media and entertainment-filled society and culture, this is probably an aspect of the kingdom that we have a lot of trouble with invisibly and obscurely is not what you'd, you'd use to describe people's attitudes today. We're at risk in underplaying the ordinariness and the obscurity of the kingdom. Because of social media, many of us imagine our lives as being like films, where we're playing to some kind of audience all the time. We expect and we want instant success, overnight transformation. We want our lives to go viral. You know, um, Having said that, Sam Arnold, our graphics guys, made a a film, a a two-and-a-half-minute film about the meaning of marriage, which we posted online. And um, Andrew, one of the leaders in the church, he's friends with a man named John Piper, who's got quite a lot of influence in the States. And John Piper tweeted out, I love this video about marriage. And now suddenly, little old Eastbourne and Seaford, this video that Sam made in the past week had over 26,000 views around the world. It's quite impressive. But we think, oh, I want that all the time. I want my life to have thousands of followers and likes and retweets and people saying, download this and, oh, come here and listen to my album and read our books and this. We struggle with that. A leadership um, writer named Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, he says overnight success takes 20 years. Overnight success takes 20 years. For us as a church... We're on the cusp of buying our own building. We've had an offer accepted. We're in the process of praying and trying to raise some money and hoping that God gives us a building that we can use. If we get a building, it's, in many ways, it's, it's a time for us where we're going to be stepping out of complete obscurity and having a little bit of a public profile in the town. It's an invitation from God to be a little bit more visible as a church. And there'll be some good things about that be good. People will know we exist. We'll say I'm part of kings and they'll say which one's that and we'll say the one opposite the Duke of Welly in the the pub. Ah great, I'll come. We'll have a little bit more profile but there'll be some bad elements to that. I mean there'll be some good bits because people will say oh we will not have to set up chairs every week. No no, we'll just have to maintain a hundred-year-old building. I mean that'll be a lot easier than putting up chairs every week. There'll be some good elements, there'll be some bad elements to it because actually in the dark when you're obscure there's a chance for you to be a little bit more stealth-like and ninja-like in a town and be a little bit more organic and authentic and all those buzzwords. Suddenly, you've got a building and an establishment and an idea to uphold. The kingdom of God happens obscurely. We don't want to overbalance, however, because there's breakthrough as well as obscurity. We want to pray for revival and ask God to break in in power, but we also need to keep inviting people Inviting people to church to come and hear hear about Jesus and meet Jesus. Invite people to Alpha to come and journey with us and learn and discuss and meet Jesus. We want to celebrate when people are miraculously healed in response to prayer. But we want to keep taking the advice of our pharmacists and keep going to the doctors. There's a Middle Eastern proverb that says, trust God, but tie up your camel. (laughs) Trust God, but tie up your camel. We want to expect for breakthrough. But we also want to be responsible And we want to understand that in the kingdom, there's often obscurity and hiddenness. The kingdom of God involves both gift and sacrifice. It is, in that sense, a free gift, but it costs everything. Like the the man who finds a pearl, Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a pearl, and he sees how valuable it is. And in his joy, there's that word, that joy, in his joy, he sells everything he has to get the pearl. It's free. Jesus offers you forgiveness. He offers you a relationship with God. He offers you meaning and purpose and life even beyond the grave. It's free because he's paid the price on the cross. It's free. The kingdom of God is here. We're not going to sell it. But to receive the kingdom of God costs you everything. It's the free gift that costs you everything. Let me explain this or show this with a, a visual uh, symbol or whatever. Who here, um, I need someone who's good at catching. Be hand if you think you're good at catching. Not oh, really, you're very confident. No, John, I don't, I don't know if I trust you. Matt, you're an ex-rugby player. Come on, I'll trust you. I hope you're good at catching because so I'm going to throw you this iPad and we're going to see if you can catch it. Oh, I mean, it's my wife's iPad, so I feel like I can throw it. So, You've it, it's what, what? Yes, it is. Right. Okay. Now, Matt, in this life, you will have troubles and cares and concerns, and those troubles and cares and concerns become like things that we hold and weigh us down, baggage that we all carry, some things that we, you know, we really like. I like my life. I like um, how things are. I like where I live. I like my economic status. I like my, I don't know. I'm proud of particular things. We need more for him. Can I have some more coats or things for Matt to carry? Let's, Paul, can I grab this coat that you're sitting on? Lunchbox. Let's see. So this, is, this represents the things in this world. Use two hands, please. It'll make the point better. Put your hand under there for me. There we go. Need more stuff. Let's see if we're going to load him up. Do you want a baby? Here you go. There's nothing valuable in here, is there? Is there this as well? I'll do it up. Okay. All right. Here we go. So there we go. Jesus says you can have it all. You can have freedom. You can have forgiveness from God. Here it is, Jesus says, it's valuable and it's precious. And he says you can have it. But to take hold of it, you have to let go of everything else. So I'm going to throw you this iPad and you're going to drop everything to catch it, okay? And if you don't, it will break. You understand? Okay, it's quite valuable, it's quite precious, and it is actually yours. Okay, (laughs) right, you ready? Please don't drop it. Anyway, I don't know what's the best way of throwing it. So it's kind of like that. It's kind of like a frisbee, so we'll do that. You ready? Okay, you ready? Three, two, well, no, no, no. You, I'll, I'll throw it on one, and then you drop it and catch it. That's what we're trying for. You ready? Three, two, one. Oh, yes! Yeah. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is the free gift You can keep that, it's yours. It's a free gift, but it costs you everything. You can't hold on to your... Jesus says, anyone who loves this life will lose it for me. It's free, but it costs you everything. It's like marriage in that respect. We enter into it for our joy. Forsaking all others, I choose you. Same in the Christian life. Forsaking all other gods, I follow you. Forsaking all other ways of living, all other voices in my life, I live for you. Lastly, the kingdom of heaven is now and not yet, Jesus says. Several of Jesus' parables show us this. Show us that it's now. He says, you will sow seed and you will produce fruit now. 30, 60, 100 fold what you sowed. There will be a mustard seed in the ground and you will see mustard trees. You will see the church's impact. But it's also not yet. Because the wheat and the weeds, Jesus says, they don't get sorted till the end. Neither does the fish. Theologians speak about the kingdom of heaven being a now and not yet. Or the posh term for it is, inaugurated eschatology. You can impress your friends down the pub with that. Not that, you know, if you're down the pub, people will not really care about that, will they? Inaugurated eschatology. Now, the kingdom is now, but not yet. We experience some. Like when a waiter comes out to a restaurant and gives you a sip of the wine, and you sip it because you feel like you should, you don't really know why. You sip it and go, yes, I'll have more. The kingdom is like that now, but not yet. There's more to come. In fact, listen to what Winston Churchill said, about Pearl Harbor, when Pearl Harbor was bombed by the Japanese, he said, I do not pretend to have measured accurately the martial might of Japan. But now at this very moment, I knew the United States was in the war, up to the neck and into the death. So we had won after all. We had won the war England would live, Britain would live, the Commonwealth of Nations and the Empire would live. How long the war would last or in what fashion it would end, no man could tell, nor did I at this moment care. No doubt it would take a long time. Many disasters, immeasurable cost and tribulation lay ahead, but there was no more doubt about the end. Being saturated and satiated with emotion and sensation, I went to bed and slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful." I slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful. There are many disasters, immeasurable cost and tribulation lies ahead. Difficulties for us as a church. We still sin. We still suffer. We still die. Unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it won't produce fruit, Jesus says. But there is no more doubt about the end. Christ has conquered the saints will overcome the lamb does win and as a result we can sleep the saved the sleep the sleep of the saved and the thankful one day healing will defeat all sickness deliverance will break out across creation peace will rule joy will overflow and sorrow and sighing will flee away and in the meantime We preach, we work, we wait, we pray, we don't stop. We expect success and failure. We expect transformation and obscurity. We expect breakthrough. We expect now and we expect not yet. To finish this morning, we're going to stand together and read Jesus's prayer that he taught the church to pray. Jesus' disciples saw that Jesus was good at praying. And so they said to him, teach us how to do it. Teach us to pray like you pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, this is the kind of thing you should say. This is the kind of themes that should be in your prayer. And we're to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Let's stand together and read this. Perhaps the band can join us as well. Let's read together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's pray. Father, help us not to be surprised and led to doubt by the puzzle of the kingdom. Help us instead to have a perspective that you had, to expect success, but recognize there'll be failure. Help us to pray and preach like it all depends on us, but recognize, God, that there's a time and a season for everything. We trust you, Father, and we ask that you would build your kingdom in Seaford, or in a town of 25,000 or so, we pray that you'd increase our love for those who don't know you. We are here as servants of that town to love them, to point people to Jesus, to show them that Jesus can be trusted through every season of the soul and in the midst of all kinds of heartache and difficulty, to show them that the kingdom of God is here. There is healing, there is joy, there is freedom, there is peace, there is comfort, and there is deliverance available to all. We ask you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.